0: We all will run into things throughout the course of our life. None of us probably walk through pretty unscathed. And imagine dealing with life and family and job and different things and then be- being taken on top of that. <laughs> imagine what that would be like. I tried to put my sh- myself in Bill Konkaleski's shoes. So. Bill has been on before. He's the MUFON director for Michigan, but he's got his own story. He's written a book. And so we talked a little bit about his abductions before because it's been with him his whole life. And it's just kind of become part of his life. And we were just talking about that before we started the interview. First of all, let me introduce Bill Konkaleski. He's from, uh, what area are you from, Bill?
1: Um, I'm in Clawson, which is a suburb just north of Detroit. Thanks for having me on.
0: <laughs> Thank you. And you've been living down that area for how long?
1: Uh, my whole life. I grew up in Sterling Heights, um, lived there until I was in my early 20s, and then moved to the Royal Clawson area. And, yeah, have been in Clawson now for, for about 20 years as well.
0: Do you like living down that? I'm guessing you must like it if you're there, right? <clears throat>
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. The the great thing about Clawson is that um, you have easy access to the fun and interesting communities like the Royal Oak Ferndale. But uh, Clawson's pretty, I don't know if I'd say, uh, I don't know, it's laid back. It's it's comfortable. It's not flashy, but it has access to, to the nearby fun communities.
0: So you're really pretty close to Detroit with all this then, right? And there's yep, a big quite, quite pop, close. big population around. So you would think that, you know, I know sometimes people that are abductees, they want to go, they think they're going to be safer by being around more people. And that's not the case, is it, Bill?
1: No, I, I don't think the visiting entities, being uh, whatever term you want to use for them, I, I don't think they have any barriers. I don't think they have any hesitation. I think they they can pretty much, do whatever they want, um, regardless. You know, there's stories of you know, like you know, in Bud Hopkins' classic book. Um, uh, is it what was this uh, the third book? Oh my gosh, it's, I'm blanking on it. Yeah. But um, but in that particular book, that it was a story that uh, was in um, actually in New York City. This woman was taken out of her apartment yep. in New York City. I remember
0: that story now i know what you're talking about yeah that's fascinating so let's just start with um maybe a little background you grew up (coughs) a a normal childhood would you say as a kid somewhat normal
1: yeah yeah oh absolutely normal (laughs) apart from all the weird things going on the uh the the normal human part of uh my life uh witnessed was the name of the book yep. um that I had trouble mm-hmm. um from Bud Hopkins. But yeah, you know, I had a paper route, I was on the soccer team, I had friends I had a girlfriend in high school, played in a band in high school and you know, uh there was a lot of kids in the area where I lived growing up, so there was always somebody to, to hang out with and have fun with. And yeah, I wouldn't say that um my growing up was anything but very, very normal.
0: And so, and I mean normal, how do you define normal? That's kind of a word that you can't really, everybody's different from normal, Mm -hmm. so I don't really use that (laughs) word too often. But so, a lot Um, of people kind of could relate to as that kind of existence. And when did you first know that something was going on?
1: Well, my very first memory in life was, Uh, age two, a little gray being came into my room, came up to the crib where I was in, it regarded me for a couple moments, and then walked out of the room. And this wasn't like something that came back years later or whatever. It burned into my memory at the time it happened, and I never forgot it. It was late at night. When he came in, I started screaming for my parents. My mom told me uh, just to go to sleep. Um, And this wasn't a case where I was awoken by this thing coming in. I was still awake. And then after a couple minutes or moments, probably not even minutes, it it walked out of the room. And then at age four, I had an experience. uh, It was about 2 in the afternoon. My older brothers were at school. My dad was at work. My mom was home. This was summer. She went out. Uh, side to pull some weeds, and so I decided I was going to go down and take a nap. I laid down and felt instantly paralyzed and then felt like I was being pulled from my body, and then when I was, um, there were three little gray guys there, and they were anxious to teach me how to operate outside of my body. This was uh, an experiment, and they were very playful about it. They brought me out into the hallway. I lived in a tri-level home and my bedroom was upstairs. And what they did was they had me, they said, lay down on your belly, which was weird because I I understood that I didn't actually have any physical form to me. Um, And then they had me drift down the stairs and um, float into the, the main family room and um, and they were very happy about it, and I was like, "Oh, this is great! I got to tell my mom." And they're like, "Oh no, no, you can't tell anybody." Mm. And and then they returned me to my physical form, and um, and then I, I, you know, I very excitedly tried to go down the stairs myself, face first, crawl down the stairs. Uh, it didn't go quite as well. Mm. And <clears throat> but um, yeah, so I, I've had physical, non-physical at age seven. Um, I mean, I could I, I could just go episodically. Uh, I think the H7 one is, is meaningful, though, for a couple reasons. Um, I, it was late at night, <clears throat> and this sort of black portal opened up over the bed, and this metal hose-like thing came down and started whipping around, and I felt very electrically charged when I did that. And then <clears throat> I felt I was pulled up into a different space, I found myself in a small room with kind of a black light, bluish purple light in the room. And I was in there with two beings and I knew that it was to cleanse me, to somehow do something to me so that I, I would be allowed on board in this sort of mud room, I guess, of the UFO. And <clears throat> then when I got in, I found there was a, a metal bed there with uh, three little gray guys and I thought oh gosh they want me to go on this bed but instead of asking me to do that they the three of them all left they they went out a door in the left of the room leaving me by myself and that kind of surprised me I'm like well if those three little guys went to the left I'm going to go to the right <laughs> so <clears throat> I went through this door on the right found myself in a longish rounding hallway it was a curved hallway and i was past several doors as i did so and i kept walking until i got to a dead end and there was this metallic contraption in this small room at the end of the hall <coughs> i mean felt like it was like a furnace or something like that and then i looked behind me and there's the three little gray guys that were following me turns out they just wanted to see what i would do and left to my own devices so they escorted me into one of the side rooms in the hallway and had me sit in a, a chair that was much like a dentist's chair, um, looked very much like that. Um, and as I sat in the chair, I felt metallically stuck to it. Like I couldn't move my arms or legs or anything. It was just stuck to this chair. And there was a taller gray guy in there. So the the beings that were following me around, the ones that I talked about um, previously, they were like three feet tall. But this being was a little bit taller. He's about five feet tall. <clears throat> and he comes up to me and he says, be very good and you'll get to see the color blue. And I'm like, well, <laughs> he obviously doesn't know kids that well. You know, kids like suckers, <laughs> right. stickers, you know, right. things, those are the things you get. And <clears throat> so then I felt this sharp pain on my right arm, my bicep, and um, or what counts for a bicep when you're seven. And I, I, I look over and I see this, lice on my arm um and i as i i don't see what actually causes the cut but as i'm looking at it i see it healing up right before my eyes and <clears throat> then i look over at him like to to say you know what the heck you know what's going on and as i do that his face is pressed nearly right up against mine and he has these deep liquidy black eyes like actually they all do and as I looked into his eyes, his eyes switched from black to this bright, bright cerulean blue. And, um, I felt tranquilized, mesmerized, relaxed, comforted, healed, all those things. And then I woke up in bed, um, is the next thing that happened. And I look over and I see this scar on my arm, which is brand new. Hmm. And so no idea, you know, there's, it was not there. Um, prior to the previous night. And later that afternoon, just a uh, sort of a slight sequel to the events. <coughs> I mean, um, I'm in the backyard playing with a friend who's six. He lives across the street from me and we're just climbing trees in my backyard. And this mist rolls into the backyard. And at first I thought, oh my gosh, something's on fire or this is somebody's barbecue or something. But there was no smell to the smoke it was slightly cool and uh, this was also in summer that this happened and this mist just seems very in, it seems like it's being driven it's very intentionally moving through my backyard and as it gets up to me um there's a little gray guy inside the cloud and he says uh he goes are you eating? telepathically mentally he's like are you all right and i'm like yes yes i'm fine and then he seemed satisfied. And then him and the cloud just rolled into the neighbor's backyard and then just kept going until I lost sight of it. Hmm. Now, my friend who lived across the street, whom I still keep in loose touch with, he remembers the smoke. He remembers the fog rolling into the backyard. It was like a kind of like a fog machine fog. Mm-hmm. Uh, he remembers the smoke very clearly still, but uh, he never saw the being inside of it. So I've had very physical experiences with these things. Um, They've come to my room. They've taken me elsewhere. I've had non-physical encounters with these things. I mean, just two, four, and seven, those three encounters right there um, encapsulate um, what would repeat again and again and again through my lifetime. Encounters where they come to me, take me somewhere else, and then also the non-physical things.
0: When you were seven or even four years old, would you Extremely frightened, or were you at peace with them?
1: Well, at that age, um, now, I'll I'll say that I think they have very interesting ideas of how to deal with us and and shortcomings and how they relate to us. But they knew at that young age to be friendly, to be playful, (laughs) to come to me like like they're friends of mine. And so they um, they were in good spirits, and although they, though they don't smile, they exuded happiness. Um, for example, when I was able to float down the stairs, um, although they were just standing there, I got this impression that they were dancing. Um, and so they they were very light, very playful. And then it, when I got into my teen years, um, I, I really got the feeling um, that I was more or less piece of meat. <laughs> I was an experiment. Um, I would say the great majority of my experiences happened in my teen years, um, regularly taken uh, against my will, just sort of treated like a lab rat thrown back and then uh, you know, to try to live my life. And that lasted <clears throat> until I got into my early 20s and then they seemed to let up and not be so uh, aggressive
0: you think I've heard that if you know how you see them is kind of how they treat you? you think there was any of that in the way you were treated?
1: okay, so <clears throat> it's sometimes a challenge to to talk about this topic without going down the rabbit hole a bit and so and then with this subject, you can really go pretty far, darn far down a rabbit hole so This is my perception of the beings that have come to me my whole life. I don't think they're physical by nature. I think they exist in a state of consciousness. My guess is that somewhere along the lines, they started off as physical beings and then figured out like, hey, I found this cool thing where you can put your consciousness on a thumb drive and plug it into somebody else or another thing or whatever, you know, just to, to, to give that sort of analogy to it they figured out how to move their consciousness between physical forms and then it got to a point where they really didn't need to be physical anymore nor did they prefer to but in certain cases they needed to be physical to interact with certain things and certain uh, in our in our case here on earth they needed to, to interact with us so they look at bodies as vehicles they have this stockpile of little gray bodies that they jump into and essentially drive around through physicality. Um, they don't associate with their bodies. Their body, these physical forms to them are vehicles. And so when they come to us, uh, people have this way of really relating to ourselves through our physicality, through our physical life story, our egos are all in, you know, is my hair brushed the right way today? Um, did I get enough sleep? You know, what am I going to have for lunch? It's all very body, 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 physical, physical. And so when they come to us as these spiritual, I, I use the term spiritual in terms of conscious beings of consciousness, not however enlightened they are, but um, basically as spiritual beings and, um, you know, this. Consciousness pops into a little gray body, comes to our bedroom in the middle of the night, um, our bedrooms in the middle of the night, and take physical people with them. The people are like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm fearing for my life now. Oh, my gosh, are they going to damage my body? Am I going to, you know, how am I physically going to persist after this trauma that I'm encountering? And, you know, it's a very existential threat because we're so body ego and, and to them they're like well, what's the big deal we're you know we we're driving this vehicle they're driving their vehicle um you know what's the what's all the stress about you know you know our vehicle's just taking their vehicle for a little ride and you know so they i think they see things profoundly different than than we do we have very little connection with spirituality and the thought that we are more than our physical form and, you know, and so that's basically at the gist of it. So when you say that a lot of it, of the encounter, is what we bring with us, um, I would say it's very true. Uh, I think it's a matter of just how much we're clinging to to our physical form and just how little they're clinging to their physical forms.
0: And then, so you're taken, even relatively recently, I'm guessing too, right? Taken?
1: last year, um, I had two um, encounters um late September early October, fairly close together <clears throat> and uh you know i you know the funny thing about it is is it's a lot easier for me to talk about stuff that happened decades ago, um, but I mean I think I can see some bare minimum in that essentially um, their message to me when I was recently taken was. Thank you, um, for all the work that you've done. Um, they, they seem to be very pleased with where, I, how I contributed to their program of understanding. And, um, I think that they're also particularly happy about being kept in conversation amongst people. I don't think they're going to land on the white house lawn, but I think they appreciate that, that people keep them in mind. And um also, um, you know, I, I'm not usually the type of person that goes on to say, well, they're here with a message for us about some coming catastrophe. But um, I do think they get spooked every once in a while. And when they get spooked, um, like, the you know, in this particular recent case, it might have been the war in Ukraine or some sort of um, climate crisis or some other thing that I can't even guess. But every once in a while, they come and they say, okay, we're, we're letting you know that we're putting you on notice that you might be drafted for, um, to participate in some sort of um, catastrophe maintenance um, under our direction. Um, and a lot of people I know got activated um, at the same time that I did. Many people I know that hadn't had experiences, encounters in, in a very long time. Um, we're all saying, you know, I haven't had an experience in a while, but, uh, you know, in years, and now I'm starting to have them again, or I, I or I can sense their presence, their back, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so, now, a lot of people, when they have these type of encounters, many, um, and, I, and there are millions, this isn't like some small club of 100 people on earth who who have these types of things happening. Um, You go to enough parties, you bring up the topic enough, you'll hear somebody's going to tell you about their experiences. So what I believe is that almost without exception, probably, anybody that they take, these beings, anybody that they take, gets uh, sort of a download into their uh, mind, their memory that gets locked away um, saying, you know, just in case we need you to help out um, to save whomever they want to save, if the plan to go south or this or that. I think they plant this idea in the heads of just about everybody that they take. And uh, But they never know exactly when a catastrophe is going to hit, where they're going to need to pull up some of these people that they've been abducting. So that means that some people um, get downloaded with this information and they grow old, they pass on, and they never use this information. Well, younger people are being implanted with these thoughts, these concepts of, um, you know, survival uh, tactics. And then, you know, they may or may not use them at a given time. But every once in a while, these beings get scared that we're going to take things too far. And so they, they take an inventory of people they think might be usable And, um, apparently I think they, they think I'm still, (laughs) still yeah,
0: (laughs) you're not, you don't need to be thrown out with the trash you're saying.
1: No, I'm not, uh, I'm not fully retired from service yet with them.
0: So when you say service and, you know, and the way you tell it is a lot different than most of what I've heard. Most people will say they think they're being taken and it has a lot to do with reproduction to help these beings with reproductive, like a cross hybrid of human and gray, is do you feel like... Oh, that's the, certainly part of it. That's mm-hmm. part of it. And do you feel that that's not the whole picture of it, though, is it? There's much more going on, right?
1: Sure. Yeah, I, you know, it's a long, you know, project that they're running. Um, and one of the big questions, and, and I think a, a really critical one is... How long have they been here messing with us? And, you know, I nobody really knows, knows. But um, I am in the camp of those who believe that they've been here for many, many thousands of years, at least. Um, That they've been with us all throughout recorded history. uh, And they've been with us in prehistory. They may have even, in fact, put us here. Um, I, I don't rule that out. Um, it, it, is a, it is a theory that seems more natural to me, that checks more boxes, that answers more questions than if they, you know, showed that their first arrival here was the crash in Roswell in 1947 or something like that.
0: Right. And I, and I believe that, you know, they didn't just show up then. And and there were reports going back before that, too, uh, many, many years. And there's been, you know, ancient aliens has uncovered a lot of, maybe not the grays, but a lot of interaction with us and perhaps creating our races. I certainly believe that, that we probably all came from maybe many different races out there. But the people that they select, why do you think they select you?
1: In my particular case, um, I think it's that it runs on, it's because it runs on my mom's side of the family. Um, my, I have four older brothers. Uh, the two oldest brothers have had many unusual experiences in their lives. We could go toe to toe, the the three of us (laughs) in, in, in a storytelling contest. And then the next two brothers after them, between them, zero no experiences Nothing. no encounters wow. whatsoever very strangely and so i think that's almost <laughs> almost as telling as me and the other brothers having experiences that there was something about these two that they're like hmm, no and yeah. then um i have a lot of cousin. my mother's had an experience my I have cousins who tell stories very interesting fascinating stories and so that's how i think i got it um as a family, a generational thing, um, you know, it's very easy if you go um, through a family to probably do a nice comparative analysis over generations of of what's going on with our species. Um, but I would say it's kind of like a virus, too, the whole abduction phenomenon, or even really if we're going to talk about anything paranormal, um, really. And some people say UFO stuff is paranormal, some isn't. And for those who don't think it is paranormal, I'm just going to say UFO and paranormal. Um, but I think there are three ways to, to have phenomena happen to you. One is, like I mentioned, if it runs in the family. Another is if you hang around with somebody long enough who has these types of things happen, you're bound to be in a situation where you have this type of experience with them. Um, you can catch it. Uh, it's almost like a disease. You can catch it. Um, you could catch it genetically through your family. You can catch it by being around somebody who has these types of things happen all the time. And then that moment that you're in an experience with them, suddenly you're aligned with it. You're open to it. Um, the phenomena sees you and then you know, it's off to the races. And the other way, the third way is that if you live in a location um, that has a lot of high strangeness, um, you may find yourself... Encountering something at some point, and then also you're on that list um, where phenomena seeks you out and you start to have strange encounters.
0: That's interesting. And I, you know, I remember I mentioned the last time we talked, or one of the times we talked, that I also think everything is by choice. So we don't remember our choices that we make before we come here. And I think, you know, we live many times and we don't remember our previous times coming here. And so, Mm -hmm. if everything in the universe is done with by agreement, uh, those that are taken, and you said that's possible, maybe that's the biggest thing of all. You chose to be in a family where that happens. You chose to allow these beings to do whatever they do to people for whatever reason. Is there any truth or possibility of that being true?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's certainly possible. Um, One of the um, people, the researchers, very prolific writer, uh, Dolores Cannon, um, she was a tireless investigator, and she got a lot of her information by uh, most of it, seemingly through doing regressions with people. Um, She would do past-life regressions, and then many, times um, um the people who are regressed would start to channel um and other voices would come in um, voices of the dead voices of extraterrestrials things like that and and you know at the, at the surface of it you think well well that sounds pretty ridiculous this woman hypnotizes somebody and this alien starts talking through them you know on the surface yes that that, that sounds pretty crazy but to anybody that um, has an open mind, I would say, um, you know, read one of her books, you know, and Keepers of the Garden is maybe the best in terms of view of UFO phenomena. And there are others, you know, who are researchers, investigators, the authors in this field, um, who say similar things. Um, I just point to her as somebody who really championed the idea that, yes, we live many lives. And some of those lives Are not on earth and sometimes when uh, a being from somewhere else um, takes up a human life what they're doing is saying oh you know this is my first time as a human um you know i am agreeing to this i am agreeing to living i'm a a being not of earth agreeing to live life on earth knowing that my other non-human um, brethren whom I've spent the last lifetime or several lifetimes with, they're going to check up on me. And that's cool. That's good. Let's do this. And then that spirit enters the body instantly forgetting, um, who it was before coming into this life and then sort of really clinging hard to that body ego. And then when they're, when this individual's taken, they're like, what the heck? I didn't agree to this. You guys look ugly. <laughs> you know what's going on. I, you know. And all of this, and it's a, a, a tremendous amount of confusion. I'll even add this other little bit to um, what, what Cannon says. She says oftentimes that coming into a lifetime as an, as an E.T. and then as a human is so challenging that they are front loaded with recordings of previous lives of humans who have lived full lives on Earth to help them adapt to our earth culture so that when they come in, they're not so wildly confused, but they have some sort of vague memory of past lives. The only thing is that these past lives aren't their past lives. They're sort of just like uh, recordings of other people's lives that are plugged in so that the, uh, the, the being coming in has some degree of grounding and they're not completely flummoxed by how people act. And the big the big hurdle that these beings have to to take um, in coming into a human life is, is how barbaric we are. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. you take these enlightened species that have been around for thousands, millions of years um, at peace at one with themselves and each other and all of this stuff. And they come here and, you know, and there's wars and just nastiness to your next door neighbor (laughs) From your next right. door neighbor, all that—just little petty things up to really tragic, terrible, horrible things—and um, that is a, a tremendous um, hurdle for them to try to jump into to that sort of um, negativity. So uh, you're without some sort almost of what pain. you're saying,
0: Bill, is that these beings, even though they they treat you like a piece of meat, as you've said more than once, do they love us, and are they coming from? maybe a higher evolutional or spiritual place than us, a, a better understanding?
1: I think most of them, yes. Um, I think the proof is that we're still here. <laughs> um, and living lives of um, without them being our extraterrestrial overlords or you know, anything like that, that sort of non- that. I, I don't, I can't say that they haven't intervened with our lives and histories and things like that, but they're not directly here, um, directing us or, or, you know, sweeping us off the street, uh, you know, for a quick meal or anything. Yeah. They, uh, um, I think at least the great majority of the beings out there are, um, enlightened, are loving, um, and their way of love is their spirit loves our spirit, but again, the 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 difficulty is when they come in a physical form, and we're treating our lives as if we are a, a physical form that has to deal with the nastiness of human life. Um, but uh, I, I people have negative experiences sometimes. Right. People feel directly victimized uh, right. with very clear details where you can't say. Oh, you know, that was just their interpretation that they were having a bad time. No, no, some people have some really awful things happen to them in some experiences, and I, I do think that you know, just because you can build a spaceship to go from one planet to another doesn't mean you're a nicer being. No, <laughs> you know, it just means that you've got the technology. But I think overall, the general culture of the universe it, it is one that's where there's justice. And you know, I, but you know, you, you'll still have some stinkers, you know, coming around here well, you and there know, that have to be.
0: I said, I remember. I think his name's Paul Hellyer, Canadian Defense Minister. Mm-hmm. He said there were twelve species that he knew of that were visiting us, and he said there were two types of greys. And I've always speculated. Well, maybe one of the greys is not as nice as the other one, or maybe they're not as evolved, or. Do you think that's a possibility, why people are having, some people have interaction with the greys, and it's not the worst thing in the world, and others have what they consider just incredibly horrible interaction? Is it possible there's more than one?
1: Oh, sure, I think so, yeah. I mean, there's so very little, like, you know, if you say, okay, here's a book of facts about the beings that are visiting us, you know, what we know. Uh, for certain uh it, you know it'd be like oh where are they from well we don't know you know <laughs> what what is their intent with us well we don't know what are what are their names you know the of the the beings or worlds that they come from you know things like that we don't know you know what is their technology that they used to get here well we don't know <laughs> mm-hmm. you know there's so many unknowns that i do certainly think it's possible um yeah that some, um, uh, you know, if you try to quantify the number of beings, I don't think you'll ever be able to fully catalog who all is coming to visit us. And I think, yeah, a percentage of who's coming to visit us isn't—they they aren't as necessarily as nice as some of the others.
0: And how would you label this group that's been visiting you? Where would you put them on the nice scale?
1: Um, I would say very nice. Um, Ultimately, um, my roughest times with them were my teen years, but um, I was I was resisting their program as much as possible. But then again, at that same time, I was resisting having to mow the lawn at home, <laughs> having to do my homework. You know, <laughs> that sort of me thing.
0: too. me so, too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so So I think it just goes with the, the territory. Uh, Of being a teenager, and so as a young person, you have that open, playful mind, and they come to you in a playful way. As an adult, you start to think, well, maybe we can find some common ground, them and I, you know, and um, and maybe you can achieve something like that. But during those years, you know, those 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 teen years, um, yeah, those are the times that I had the most challenge, and those were the times that I could see why there was a challenge and I remember a couple of the things is one I set up my room basically as an obstacle course to try to prevent them from taking me Um, you know I'd usually have the light on uh, tv or radio on I'd have junk all over the floor that the beings might trip on I tried to barricade my (laughs) door slightly and all, all this stuff to try to keep them from coming in it none of it ever worked remotely I don't think but they, um, I even had a fan blowing on me so that I could feel safe closing my eyes so I knew if there was something that would block that current of air um, that somebody was in the room. And then the other part of it um, was at one point they had taken me on board. I say on board, I don't remember going into what looked like a UFO from the exterior, but the interior was around structure, call it, you know, you know, whatever it was, it was a round structure and probably a UFO, but what do I know? Because yeah, I only saw it from the inside. So I'm walking through this curving hallway and I'm being escorted by little gray guys. And then we get to the, um, this room that I had never been in before and there's this mantis being in there. Um, it's a tall guy, looks very much like a praying mantis. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, very frightening, obviously this the concept of a seven foot tall praying mantis looking at you, and um the, he had this tremendous sense of uh power authority um the level of energy that he was producing, just standing there was just awesome and horrible and um so he says to me telepathically, "Oh, and for what it's worth um i didn't see much of his body because he's wearing." um a robe that you know the type of robe that you only see at graduation parties and uh like wizard costumes Mm -hmm. that kind of a fancy robe and and so he says telepathically to me you know you're just not going along with the program you're resisting and um that's not helpful for either of us he said if you go along with the program you'll you'll know the benefits and you'll see that it was a mistake to to be so resistant, and it, I was a high schooler at the time <clears throat> um sixteen seventeen, whatever it was, and the beings that brought me before this i got the feeling you know at that age from that point of view I had that I was being brought into the principal's office mm-hmm. you know, to get scared the straight I- by this thing
0: alien principal's yes. office Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: um you know i i I was definitely frightened by this thing. I definitely heard its message, and I don't think it changed my resistance much at all. Um, In fact, I was even more frightened of them, wanted to distance myself even more, because knowing that they had this thing that was essentially uh, a seven-foot-tall praying mantis.
0: Which I've heard about before, but many people have reported. All the things you're talking about, if people follow that, they will find that there's a lot of uh, similarities in all these reports if you're new to the UFO thing. Are you still there, Bill?
1: I am, yes. Um, there might be some ambient noise in the background. I apologize. I'm trying to move as far away from it as I can.
0: No, that's okay. So they've been taking you for most of your life, and you really don't know why. Part of it may be for reproduction. Any other ideas? Do you why they're doing this to you?
1: Yeah, I think because we're
0: here. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> yeah, if <laughs> I mean humans are always exploring places and finding new species, and you know trying to learn as much as about them as they can. Like even recently, that um, those really deep water submarine project they had going around. Australia, finding just so many new species that they'd never uh, seen before. Um, You know, that's what, you know, that's what we would do if we had craft capable of going to other worlds. We'd want to go to as many of them as possible, encounter what's there, encounter who's there to uh, the greatest degree that we could. That sort of curiosity of life, seeking out other life and discovering about other life, you know the whole kind of maybe Star Trek vibe, if you will. Right. But uh, I, I think that's a, a big part of it, is we're here, and so they're here to check us out.
0: <laughs> and we might even be their creation in some way, or they would you say maybe they're trying to help us evolve spiritually?
1: Yeah, um, and I, I think that, that, you know, entails a long process, you know. Um, People, you know, just—I mean—the the inhumanity to um, <coughs> that the inhumanity of World War II, for example, um, you know, was not even a hundred years ago, and so I think we've, as a whole species, progressed, um, made some steps since then, but I think we've got a long way to go. <coughs> And I don't think they, the beings want to sort of artificially pull us up um, faster than um, our, our wisdom, our path of wisdom is going to take us. I think they want us to get there on our own so that it's authentic and that they, they won't have to worry that they've jumped us too many grades in school um, and that we're maybe not ready for it. I really don't think that they want us um, flying around in the galaxy. I think that would just be nothing but a headache for them. I don't think. And so, so I I think they're, you know, they're here to sort of uh, be our babysitters Mm. (laughs) for until a time where they, they, they think that we are ready and then, you know, then they'll reveal a bit more and a bit more and then we'll be ultimately welcomed in. But, yeah, I, as much, you know, as I, I like to think, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. You know, I should be out there. I'm good to go. Um, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's,
0: <coughs> I'm sorry, you don't know what?
1: Uh, yeah. Oh, I don't know if that's, uh, you know, me thinking too highly of myself <laughs> that I, that I wouldn't go out there and then just be like, you know, I, I'm, you know, all peaceful and then I'm on some UFO somewhere, start gossiping about some other being like, he dresses kind of funny, doesn't he? You know, <laughs> yeah you know, and just and bringing some of that snarkiness that uh, is a hallmark of our species with mm. us. I think I think we really have to be really ready, because my guess is that mistakes have been made in the past throughout the history of the universe of the wrong species getting a bit too technologically advanced and sort of polluting um, the sort of overall universal culture. And I don't know, that's obviously going way out on the limb of Imagining what things are like out there, but right. Tom, I, but yeah. I think there are
0: probably many that have risen and and dropped and Destroyed themselves because they weren't mature enough conscious, you know uh, spiritually to advanced with technological Inventions uh, discoveries and I you know, it's been said about our own planet that there's been and there seems to be some evidence that Societies have risen and fallen Atlantis and and maybe evidence of a nuclear weapon detonating um, where they found what they think are glass shards that probably were created by a nuclear weapon. So I think even here on Earth, we probably had moments where we rose up and then, as we've done many times as humans, um, but I do believe that we can become, and I think we're moving towards becoming very enlightened beings. And I really believe that we're in a time from my perspective, that that is beginning to take place. We're moving towards that. I wanted to ask you about how did you, unless you don't want to answer these questions, how did you ever tell the woman that you're married to, did she know this before you got married? Did, did she oh, yeah. <laughs> Did she have her own experiences separately from you? I mean, is this part of what happens to her too?
1: Um only in a very small degree and, and but yes. And uh, it runs on her uh, dad's side of the family. So, she's got it uh, in her family as well, particularly um some cousins wow. of hers. But and, um <clears throat> so when um when it's always a sort of challenge uh, i th- i know I, I think i've been saying this is a challenge and that's a challenge but amongst the many things that are a challenge um is when you start dating somebody you know you got to find that sweet spot to 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 let them know um if you bring it up too quickly and they're not a fan of of of, of you know Uh, of something like that you know you could scare somebody off. they'll be like oh forget this weirder right (laughs) Um, but if you wait too long (laughs) if you wait too long then odds are they're going to be around when something happens right which is what happened to me um back in 95 this girl um i was dating and i wasn't ready to tell her yet but um that didn't stop the beings from showing up and um being dismissive of her um Giving a you know a very short version of the story. I think I might have even told it uh, mm-hmm. on a previous show. Years, um, we were in a park on a hill. It was dark, and the beings uh, froze us. Um, three little gray guys came up, looked her up and down, and said, "No, telepathically, no, that's not, not her. She's not the one. No, forget it." And then um, you know she very quickly broke up with her. And I didn't say it, what had happened had anything to do with me, but I knew she knew it had everything to do with me.
0: Wow, and, so, and she must have been freaked um, out, but, freaked out to no end, right? having having no oh, yeah. experience with that. It must have. I mean, most people probably, if you haven't delved into that, it's going to be overwhelming, wouldn't it be?
1: Yeah. Yep, so when we were able to move again, uh, the beings left. We were able to move again, and then we like ran. It was like a mile to the car. We both ran. The entire way back to the car and um i was going to drop her off at home because now was fairly late and she didn't want to go home she wanted to she go she wanted to go somewhere where there were people and some sort of degree of grounding and normalcy so we actually went to uh meyer uh the meyer 50 acres big box store and you know it was open 24 hours back in the day and so we went in and yeah we were walking up down aisles looking at mops you know, cans of beans. Um, you know, the the pet aisle. You know, just to sort of immerse ourselves, and and it, it, you know, it was like a real deep dive into normalcy to try to in commercialism. You know, to to try to um, set things back to normal. So we were there for a little while, and at some point she goes, "I think I can go home now," and mm-hmm. then so I dropped her off, and then um, we didn't talk the next day, and two days later, yeah, she broke up.
0: Yeah, probably didn't want to go down that road again. So, yep. with your current... so with my. Go ahead.
1: Yep. Yep. So, um, one of the things that was kind of a benefit is that uh, we had known each other for about five years before we started dating, um, and so she had heard just, I'm sure, the vaguest parts uh, of this even before you know we we started, and so. Um, um, it wasn't long after we started dating that i, I told her basically she calls it my six hour story. It's a little bit longer now, but yeah, I just pretty much laid it all out, and we kept going and yeah it was I was able to you know because she was a little bit front loaded and you know i just I was able to lay it out in a nice and patient way, and she knew who I was, you know, if you know somebody for five years ahead of time you know you you know who they are already. And so this was just a, a new piece of me that was being introduced.
0: And then if it's not digging too much into your own privacy and protection of your own loved ones, how did you break this to your children? Cause that would have been like, <laughs> I don't, I guess I would have just been honest, but how do you, how do you do that?
1: Um, I suppose I'm following the same model, of when I was growing up. Um, while things were happening to me at a very young age, um, my two older brothers that were having experiences, um, they were respectively 10 and 11 years older than me. So there was a big jump there. And <clears throat> so there was sort of a rule in the house that my mom said that my older brothers couldn't talk about their experiences around me. Um, if I was to share with them, you know, they could be, um, you know, supportive, you know, not treat me like I'm crazy, you know, it it'd just be sort of sympathetic, but they weren't to share their own, own experiences. And so uh, it was my mid-teens um, that I started to find out about some of the things that they went through. And then over the years, I'm still finding out new things. Uh, and so um, I thought that was a good approach because they didn't want to scare me. They didn't want to confuse me. They didn't want to um you know, make growing up any more difficult than it already was, and so um I essentially follow that approach um i I'm not saying you know I'm not saying you know here's some things that happened to me, I'm not saying much they know that I'm really into the u f o topic, and <clears throat> i I think I've told a couple of the u f o sightings that I've had, but nothing any uh, any deeper than that. You know, at some point in their, their life, they'll, you know, learning is, is going to be, you know, it's obviously going to happen at, at some point. But um, right now, they're just enjoying life as little kids, and they'll find out more someday, whenever it happens.
0: So you're saying, and again, not prying into anything, but do you feel like they've had some experiences?
1: Um, You know, I'm... Very open about talking about my own life and my own experiences, and, um, yeah, what little that my wife is okay with, um, saying. But, yeah, as far as my kid, I'm not going to say whether or not they're having anything or or anything like that. I understand that. Let them live their lives. I respect that.
0: And so I just wondered, like, you know, the whole, my whole perspective of all this was we go through our everyday lives, most of us. And maybe some of us are being taken and we don't realize it. Do you think everybody knows if they're being taken?
1: No. No, I think there are a lot of people that don't. Um, And, you know, I think it's, when I I think about my life, I I think, do I, am I aware of most of what's happened to me? I don't think I'm aware of most of it. I think maybe I'm aware probably about a third, if I'm lucky, So I think there's moments where they kind of um, maybe slip up and show their hand a little bit too much. But for the most part, if they're cautious, if they're careful, that millions of the people are being taken, they have no idea that they're being taken.
0: And so I can only imagine if you are aware of it, maybe it's a blessing not to know, but if you are aware of it, did you ever feel like you had to see a psychiatrist or go through, you know, talk to different people? I mean, or was that just something you dealt with?
1: Well, being embedded in the UFO community <clears throat> and being the state director of a chapter of MUFON, um, I had the luxury of psychologists, psychiatrists, <coughs> coming to MUFON, coming to me directly, saying I want to m- know more about this phenomenon. And, uh, um, you know, they'll have this sort of distant curiosity. And, and when they, they come across me, I'll say, you know, well, here's some things that happened to me. And invariably, I think the four, five, gosh, maybe, I, I don't even think, that, if I had to think about it, um, seven, uh, different, uh, psychological professionals that I, I've shared with have all done the, you know, the same thing is that, they believe what's happened to me and that I've gone through some stuff that's been um you know that is that has affected me but that you know I'm not you know making this up or anything like that and you know they they it, I I've never been I would say uh a patient a doctor patient relationship where they were trying to um address things that were part of the phenomena in my life um because I've managed to get through it the way I've, uh, you know, basically my therapy has been telling everybody <laughs> about what's happened to me, right. um, And that, which has been quite cathartic to me. But there are certainly people out there that keep it in and could probably benefit from somebody who's an ally to the community that can, you know, be primarily supportive to the person, whatever they're going through, um, you know, without saying like, oh, I think 85% of what they're saying is, is true and accurate, uh, you know, or I think 70% or I think 90%, you know, or, you know, you know, d- helping that person cope with whatever, whatever's challenging them first <laughs> at again? But, um, and then afterwards, you know, if they want to make some decision about um, the likelihood of some of the realities that are, are being expressed, you know, that, you know, they're certainly welcome to do that. Yeah, I, I, I haven't seen anybody in, the, in that sort of medical community um, approach this subject with an open mind that didn't come away convinced. There are some people that seem to be on somebody's payroll who will come out swinging against the phenomena mm-hmm. in general.
0: Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, and,
1: seem, <laughs> and seem to know very little about the phenomena. Um, and, you're, you know, it's always like, you know, who paid you to do this hit job on, on our community? Um. What personal grudge do you have against it? And, you know, the facts of it are just so off the charts, uh, inaccurate. I remember even um, there was um, uh, a woman who she, she even wrote a book, um, Susan Clancy. I'll just name drop her in particular. Um, John Mack was uh, a psychologist at uh, Harvard University, and he had been very open about uh, the... Experience or phenomena and his support of its reality and its meaning for us and you know things like that and um <clears throat> susan clancy who was also at harvard after mac passed she said oh you know it was such a shame in her book about the abduction phenomena because she put out a book i think it's something like why people would think they were abducted by aliens or something like that this is put out back in the 90s if i remember correctly and so she says um, in her book, she starts, she goes, oh, it's such a shame that Mac got hit by a bus. I would have liked to have met him. I'm like, he didn't get hit by a bus. He got hit by a Peugeot, you know, this little, <laughs> you know, this little tiny, you know, European, right. you know, hatch. And and that she would put, you know, open her, lead her book, you know, with like, oh, my goodness, you know, you know, she she just got a very easily you know, confirmable or disputable fact, you know, she just came out with it. And I'm like, oh,
2: darn
1: it. And then, yeah, and then she started saying really crazy things.
0: Well, and and I want to ask you, I know we probably don't have too much more time, but because I definitely think there is, from my perspective, and maybe yours and you're just not going there, but the government's well aware of them, the ones that are visiting, the Greys and many others, and there's an agenda to discredit anybody for years they've been doing that anybody that's witnessed anything and maybe you know it appears now they're trying to release more of those things so maybe there's another plan in place to let some of that truth out I I guess the next thing I want to ask you though is not speculation on that but if you could release yourself from these beings right right now Would you want to do that?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Also, I think I misspoke a moment ago when I said Mac uh, was a doctor of psychology. He was a psychiatrist, just to to be clear. Because I don't want to say, you know, oh, I get this mistake, and then this person doesn't know what they're talking about. So I just want to clear that up. Um, But so the the thing about this phenomena is I remember once uh, my friend Sandy Nichols, who is also an experiencer, asked me, once he goes, do you ever wish that none of this had ever happened in your life? And I was like, well, it's my very earliest memory. It's been with me at every step of my life. I'm like, I wouldn't even recognize myself without this phenomenon. I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't know what, you know, the rest of my life would have produced apart from this also occurring in my life. I have no idea. And so to ask, you know, do I wish it never happened? Um, do I wish it would stop? I mean, it's my identity. It's who I am. I, I, can't, I can't bring myself to say that if I was being tortured um, or at such a level of anxiety that it was uh, debilitating, that sort of thing, if it was affecting me like that, of course, you want pain to stop. But I'm not experiencing pain. Um, anything that was less than pleasant it's been many years ago and I felt I would built a relationship with these things over the years as strange and abstract as it might be. And so, yeah, overall it's, it's, it's a blessing, you know, it's a, it's a blessing to be in contact with something from somewhere else. Um, as long as, you know, um, pain isn't present, you know, all, you know, safety first and all that, um, yeah, for me, it's been a net positive.
0: So you wouldn't get rid of it if you could, if you could snap your fingers and be gone today, you wouldn't want to get rid of it.
1: I wouldn't want to get rid of it because it's such a big part of me. Um, I mean, I, I can't, you know, the the the, the constant attention that I, I put into the the UFO community and the experiencer community and the work that I do. You know, I've been the state director for Michigan MUFON now for nineteen years. And I've been a member since 93. I mean, just all those years of my life just focused on the phenomena. If I, I, if I wasn't part of MUFON, I, I, would be, I would be up to my neck in the phenomena in some other way. Um, because it's mended, it's molded Pardon me who I am. And it is me. And, and so I, I, you know, I, there, I, I can't, like, retire from it. I can't even take a break from it. Um, and that's not to say that I want to. It's just to say that
0: that's who I am kind of like your life mission right
1: yeah it's 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 my uh it's my thing
0: <laughs> I think we that's all sure. we all feel like at some point we maybe have a certain certain mission calling. yeah that we that we are uh, its and maybe it shows itself to you at some point in your life and you feel drawn to it and then you wind up you can always turn it down, but you can you feel like you have to serve it as well. So is there anything else that you would want to share with me at all? And we can do this if there's more to talk about. I would love to do it again down the road because I think it's very, you know, I've never really had this conversation. I've talked to some people that I know that have been taken, but they never went into the in-depth because you're one of the few people probably that remembers a lot of things, right?
1: I do remember quite a bit, yeah.
0: And so is there anything else you want to add to this that maybe we missed or that you would like to just put out there?
1: Uh, I, I really think that uh, if anybody who is listening to this has had some kind of experience, I, I, always, you know, I always say the best thing for an experiencer is to talk to another experiencer. Um, you could get sympathy from people who aren't having this phenomena Um, but it's never quite the same as talking to somebody else who's going through something similar to what you are. Um, uh, MUFON is a great way to connect with other people um, that have had things like this uh, happen. There are other outlets as well. Um, CERO, the Close Encounter Resource Organization, started by the legendary um, abduction investigator, Von Smith, Um, you know, there's, there's, there's avenue. There's ways to to reach out and contact other people. And just to, you know, to say that you're not the only one. You're far from it. Um, you know, none of us are, have to go through this by ourselves. In fact, it's, it's a wonderful experience to just pick up the phone with someone and say, you'll never guess what happened last night and just be able to freely express what happened without saying, I know you're going to think this is, difficult to hear, or, you know, I, you really have to believe me on this one. But, uh, yeah, so, the, you know, that openness, I think community is 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 the perfect remedy for any stress, anxiety, difficulty um, that anybody is going through that has this type of encounter going on with their life, in their life.
0: Yeah, so if anybody's listening and maybe... And maybe you don't even realize it too. Aren't there? are there little signs that maybe you can tell if something's going on, or there things you can notice? I'm sure you've had these conversations.
1: Sure. sure. Um, in fact, if you go to Mufon's website, there is a survey. Um, it has a bunch of questions. You know, <clears throat> um, has this has this ever happened to you? And it includes like paralysis, uh, flying dreams, and I <coughs> mean. Other unusual things that have happened in life, unexplained scars, um, lots of little things, and it sort of gives you an idea. Like, hmm, oh, I never thought about that being a part of the phenomena. Or you go through it and say, yeah, you know, um, I, I thought maybe something was happening to me when I look at this list. You know, it, it makes me, you know, it informs me to to try to answer that question, and, and I need some more thought um, before I, I really realize that I want to start talking to to somebody about what's going on yeah it's you know the um you know somebody's always there for you you know and i'm an easy enough target um so long as you know how to spell my last name it'll take you probably two seconds to find a email or phone number for me or um you know hit you know facebook friend me etc and uh you know and i'd love to have a conversation with you and um, I can probably also put you in touch with somebody quite local to you. I know hundreds of experiencers, so um so yeah, we can make that happen.
0: Well, thank you for your time. I know you have other things to do. you got to lead your earthly meat suit life like the rest of us, right?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And, and then shovel snow. And it's amazing how we, we think this is the reality, isn't it? And this really is not, is it?
1: When you when you get even the slightest taste of of something greater out there, it is so hard to pick up that shovel and go outside and shovel the the sidewalk. But <laughs> still got to do it.
0: Because <laughs> we're still in the meat suit. Well, thank yeah. you, Bill Konkoleski, and I look forward to talking to you again at some point. And anytime you want to share something with me, I'd be glad to chat with you. You're an You just seem like an incredibly nice guy, very open-minded guy, and uh, who's been through a lot and handled it extremely well. And it's kind of, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. Absolutely. Thank you,
1: TJ.